Thought maybe you boys might be interested in putting on a big-time wrestling bout. You know, make a nice hunk of dough for yourself. It's time to Santa? Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Morgan, you're out of here. You don't have the right temperament for the trade. You're a dead man. What am I supposed to do? There's always barber college. Frankie, I know you're a great wrestler, but my brother, who ain't as handsome as you, is as strong as Charles Atlas. Yeah, but I've wrestled women that are bigger than him. Sure, you got fat, sloppy women. Hello and welcome to Camel Clutch Cinema, the podcast where we talk about movies that star wrestlers or have wrestling in them. I'm Guy Hutchinson. And I'm Craig Cohen. And we have a fantastic guest on the show today. Johnny Sullivan, a screenwriter who's written a number of movies, including Recoil, which stars Stone Cold Steve Austin. Johnny Sullivan, welcome to Camel Clutch Cinema. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Thanks, guys. This, this is very exciting. I got to tell you, I look at your filmography. Every one of these films looks like it would be my favorite film of all time. <laughs> yeah, that's hopefully. Yeah, that's 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 definitely my goal. Whenever I write something is, is for people to like it. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. This is this is really great. I, now, you work in a lot of genre films, and I'm curious, I want to go all the way back to when you started. What was your what was your idea that you got into writing movies? I've always wondered, do people, you know, start out wanting to write, you know, books or something else? What is the what was your drive, you know, as a writer? Well, um, you kind of nailed it. Um, it, it. It was pretty much that. I was in, uh, I was, I think, a sophomore in high school, and uh, I'd always, I wasn't really a big uh, sports guy. Um, and, you know, I spent a lot of time watching movies and uh, reading books. You know, I read a lot of Stephen King, a lot of Dean Koontz. Uh, that was pretty much my social life at that point. And uh, I just, I, I, I wanted to become a novelist. I wanted to be like those guys. I wanted to be able to put out, uh, great narratives with great characters and great stories that involve monsters for the most part. Mm-hmm. And when I started writing, um, I had a really great creative writing teacher and my parents were both teachers and, and they both have an English background. So I kind of grew into that, but, uh, I tried writing books and this is going to sound terrible, but it, it, uh, it was, it was really hard because it, books have to be like 300, 400 pages. And I would stop writing at like a hundred. So there's all these um, unfinished uh, short stories in my parents' house back home, back east. Uh, and I, uh, I kind of figured out that people wrote movies and that screenplays were really only like 105 pages for the most part. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, that sounds great. I could totally do that. Uh, so I bought a bunch of books from Barnes and Noble. Uh, I had like a stack of screenwriting books. I read everything. Um, and this was during the time, this is, uh, I'm, I'm 34 now, so we're talking about, you know, the uh, mid-90s when mm-hmm. screenwriting really wasn't as well-known as it is now. I feel like it, 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 it's more well-known now than it was during that period of time. And um, I started writing um, horrible, horrible films. They were, like, terrible. They were, like, the worst movie. No one would ever see them. They didn't make any sense. The, the uh, structure was terrible. Uh, the characters were... And, and then, like, ironically, the uh, scripts that I would write would actually wind up being, like, 300 pages because they didn't know how to write a screenplay. I would just have, like, <laughs> space, 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 space. Um, 
but I did that through most of high school, and I really didn't think it was going to be a career. I, I, I thought it was a hobby, and anyone I talked to, they're like, oh, people write movies? Doesn't the director do that? Like, no, the director doesn't do that. Like, Spielberg didn't write Indiana Jones. You know, like, yeah, you know, right. Spielberg didn't write Jaws, but a lot of people during that time, and, and probably to a lesser degree now, um, they, they, they still, a lot of people still don't know that. Well, yeah. I think people see the film as a whole project and they don't ever think about all the things that go into it. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah, no. Yeah. Um, especially when you have like a, a major film, something, you know, on a level like Independence Day, when you have all these, you know, like Roland Emmerich and, and you have all these major stars, the last person you kind of think about is the writer. Um, and it, it's, it's kind of one of those, we're, we're the lowest paid, uh, aspects of, of the, uh, the poster. Hmm. That's what, you know, and it, it's, you know, it's fine because we get to, um, you know, sit in our underwear and, and, and create worlds, you know, while they actually have to, you know, you know, dodge explosions and handle a crew. We can, you know, and, um, as far as recoil goes, I wasn't even on set. Yeah. Um, my passport was expired. So I actually couldn't go to Canada to oversee the shoot, which I really wanted to do, but I didn't get my passport updated in time. Yeah. Now you mentioned that you aspire to sort of, you know, write like Stephen King or or or, uh, or Koontz. Now, Recoil is a is a much different movie. It's grounded in reality. Um, mm-hmm. I really really enjoyed it, and we'll talk about it later. How did you end up writing something like Recoil that 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 doesn't have monsters and a sci fi element? I think uh, with me, just because I grew up on a lot of uh, um, sort of B movies and and. Uh, you know, Jaws is, is my favorite movie. So I wrote a lot of stuff that was, uh, you could compare to Jaws, like, you know, monster stuff. A lot of what, what I think people consider now are sci-fi movies, sci- sci-fi channel movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of start off doing that, um, but I was always a big action fan as well. It's just that I think, uh, it's going to sound weird, but uh, I was I was sort of like a, uh, sort of like a nerd growing up. So I, I kind of liked monster and sci-fi stuff. But uh, once I hit, like, junior of high school, I started exercising. I started working out, and I kind of really got into, like, oh, you know, now I'm, like, way into, like, Die Hard and Schwarzenegger movies and Stallone movies. So I really kind of got into those. And I think that was, like, sort of the switchover. I kind of wanted to watch more action-oriented stuff. And that's also, that's what I started writing. So I read, I started writing stuff like that as well. So um, now, where, got- where physically were you located? What state were you in? At that, at that time, or mm-hmm. right now? No, at that time. So at that, I grew up on Long Island in uh, in New York. So, okay. uh, and by the way, I'm glad you guys are okay. I know you're, you're on the East Coast. Like after Oof. that hurricane, that that must have been intense. It, it was terrible. I mean, do you still have family and friends in this area? Oh yeah, um, uh, my entire family is is uh, pretty much on Long Island, Queens, and uh, in in New York. My uncle uh, actually lived in Breezy Point. He lost his house and two cars. Oh, really, oh my God! Yeah, it's rough. It, it is astonishing. Um, I mean, it's it's amazing, you know, and especially in the year 2012 that, you know, there's still people over there in Long Island that they haven't been able to figure out how to get the power back on. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's insane. My, my parents were without power, and they were the lucky ones. They were without power for about 11 days. Wow. And they got it back. Um, but, yeah, I have uh, I have numerous friends and family that, that uh, either lost uh, a lot of possessions or, or can't even go back to their homes. Yeah. So it's... Uh, 
yeah. Uh, so I'm glad you know you guys are okay. And, well, and, uh, I mean, as I it always, as everybody always says, it, it's you know, as long as the people are okay, you can always replace the stuff. But I mean, it is devastating to see yeah. pictures of people with their all their belongings on the curb, you know, in piles because everything got so wet that there was nothing that could be done about it. Yeah, that's insane. Um, just watching that, and I, you know, I feel bad. I, I live in Los Angeles, and uh, it's it's about 90 degrees and sunny every day here, and. Uh, I felt really horrible about not being able to uh, be there for my parents or help mm-hmm. them out or help out anyone. It's, it's really tough. I'm actually going to be out um, on Long Island next week. So it should be interesting to see uh, what, it, what it looks like. Yeah, yeah the, the one thing that was crazy is my brother lives um, a little bit south of where I am, and he got power back way before I did. So I actually spent a weekend there when power was still out here. And the craziest thing was his town – was normal. It was like life was no different than it had been a month earlier. And meanwhile, back here where I was, it was, you know, pitch black and everything was shut down. It was, it was surreal to say the least. Yeah. I, I can't imagine. Um, uh, but I, uh, it's, you know, I, I grew up on the East coast and, yeah. and you know, it, so here's what I'm, what I'm asking about the East Coast. If you're in Long Island, it's not that far to go to New York City. It's not, you, you have somewhat of an accessible route to, to, to work in, in the film industry. Did you find that helpful? Uh, yeah, it, w- it was helpful. I, um, when I graduated from college, I, uh, I wanted to do an internship at a really, really, really small production company uh, in New York City, uh, in Tribeca. And uh, my job was pretty much just to read scripts. And I got paid um, something like 500 bucks a month to do that. And I just read a lot of really, really terrible scripts. Um, <laughs> hundreds, hundreds of them. Uh, it it kind of, I always tell you, know, writers ask me a lot, like, hey, what's, what's the best thing I can do? I was like, read bad scripts because you'll know what not to do. Sure. You'll know you don't. Um, and that was my first kind of sort of paid job outside of college. Um, and it was a 45-minute commute from Northport, where I grew up, to New York City. So I jumped on the Long Island Railroad, and I'd, uh, you know, spend some time on the train. And on that time on the train, I would have my laptop, and I'd write movies. Um, one of the first things I wrote was Fear the Dark. And I wrote that. That was written exclusively on a train. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, literally on my lap with you know, a guy sleeping on my shoulder next to me and someone with a really stinky egg sandwich on my, on my lap. <laughs> now, was and that something... How that movie was written. Yeah. Was that something now that you, you wrote um, with the intention of finding somebody to sell it to or was it something that you sort of worked with the existing production company on? It was a complete spec script. Uh, okay. It was complete. I, I just kind of conceived of it. Um, it was a story... I always kind of wanted to write a modern boogeyman story, and this is because this is before a lot of um, similar films had come out, um, like Jeepers Creepers and uh, Darkness Falls. I kind of this was kind of like the first movie. Uh, obviously, those movies were more successful. This movie was a very smaller movie, but um, I kind of wanted to tell that story, and um, I didn't think anything was going to happen to it. I was kind of hoping that my boss at my job might be able to do something with it, and. Um, I wound up quitting that job, and I wound up working at the Gersh Agency, also based in New York City. At that time, they were located in Times Square. And uh, my job was uh, office assistant. And, again, it was another job where I was exposed to screenplays. I, uh, this was before PDFs 
um, and, and, you know, email documents. It was, I had a co- physically copy scripts. So that was pretty much my entire thing. But I was able to read scripts for uh, the first, uh, in the set of the first Spider-Man. The Tobey Maguire, the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, I was probably one of the first people to read that script. Oh, wow. Uh, which is kind of neat. Uh, he was a client at the time, so I was privy to all that stuff. He was just handing me these scripts, um, stuff that uh, Shane Black wrote, stuff that all these uh, great, uh, I read early incarnations of I Am Legend, uh, all these movies that came out uh, about a year or two later. And what was and your was position? Such- what were you reading them for? What were, what were you, did you give them feedback on them? Oh, I wasn't supposed to read them. <laughs> I, uh, no, I see. No, they didn't want me to read them. I just did it. And uh, I mean, when when you get a, uh, I, w- I would have different agents uh, come up to me or the agents assistants come up to me and they're like, oh, you know, Sullivan, can you, you know, photocopy this? We need to, we need like eight copies of it because they were submitting it for their clients. They give it to me, and it, you know, it says Spider Man <laughs> on the cover. How am I not, you know? getting a copy of that and reading it. That's, oh, exactly. That's, that's insane. So it was, that was really great because then I was reading stuff that was, um, that was professional, that there was millions of dollars against, and that kind of really helped me hone uh, my craft um, or whatever you want to call it. And that was really, really great. During that time, I uh, had a lot of downtime because um, there wasn't a lot of stuff for me to do. I worked in the literary department of the agency. And during that time, I was able to actually write while I was at work. Um, so I kind of polished uh, what became Fear of the Dark in the offices there and used the photocopier, photocopy the script, and send it out to uh, various production companies that I found on the Internet. Oh, wow. Um, and that doesn't really happen anymore. Like, we're talking about this is the Wild West of screenwriting. Like, <laughs> it's really before, you know... I mean, like, I, I, I'm going to sound old, but, like, this is really before the Internet became the Internet. Right. Sure. No, that's true, though. That's definitely true. But you, I, I noticed that I hear that about every era. Every era always says, well, you couldn't do it now. That was the last time you could do this. Um, but do you <laughs> think there's more or less opportunity now for somebody starting out like yourself? Like yourself at now. that time? At that time, it's yeah. harder. Harder. I think it's okay. harder. I think, um, and it, it's, uh, it, back then, no one was really sending out email queries. I mean, people were, mm-hmm. but uh, a lot of production companies and studios were actually accepting them. Yeah. Now it's become its own business, so studios and production companies have become wary of doing that. Um, during that time, it was kind of like, hey, this could be a good, uh, this could be a good pipeline. It's new material. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, nowadays, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of web based. Um, sort of script competitions, but there's so many of them sure. um, that they almost don't matter anymore. It's, it's sort of like they diluted the pool. Yeah. So they're not, there's a couple of really good ones, like Script Pipeline is, is a really good site. Um, my manager has found a lot of great writers through that, including the guy who wrote Snow White and the Huntsman. Oh, wow. Um, cool. Yeah. And, uh, but there's also some that aren't really reputable. Because yeah. everyone yeah. thinks they can like start a script competition, you know, charge fifty bucks for a submission, and right. you know, it, it turns into like a sh- what we call a shotgun shack, where yeah. they just basically shotgun a, a script out to ninety production companies, and no one pays attention to it. Mm-hmm. So, how many people did you send Fear of the Dark to before you got uh, somebody expressing interest in it? I I kind of 
didn't think anything was going to happen to it. Mm-hmm. And honestly, uh, the script was not in great. I, I think there were like a billion typos in it. It was, it was really, really sort of like a rookie situation. But I to production companies, including Dimension Films, uh, pretty much anyone who was actively doing uh, genre pieces. Um, I was, you know, I was hoping for like someone like Dimension, but this company that I had kind of. Uh, I guess I encountered them through the back of, of maybe the writer's market. Um, a company called Wishbone Films, based out of, again, Canada, um, contacted me, called me up at work, because I used my work number as my number. I didn't have a cell phone at the time. <laughs> and they called me up and they said, hey, we really like this. This is, this is, this is a really neat thing. Um, we kind of we want to buy it. And I thought it was a joke. Um, and I'm, I'm at work. You know, I'm making coffee for agents and changing light bulbs and um, I'm like, yeah, that, that sounds fine. Um, and they made an offer and the money, which would, I'll, I'll tell you, it was, it was $5,000 that I got for yeah. that movie. Right. And that's it. Like, I don't get residuals from that movie cause it wasn't union yet. Um, yeah. you know, if you buy it, I don't see any money from it. So, you know, don't feel bad <laughs> if you find it anywhere. But I think years. yeah, at that point, that was probably almost life changing money. Oh, I had never seen kind of check toilet. Um, that was I. I started spending it in my head as soon as they said, "Oh no, I'm totally going to get that particular CD player." I didn't have an iPod yet. We're still talking 2002 at this point, right? Um, but uh, but yeah, that was amazing, and um, I didn't have a lawyer at the time, and I didn't have an agent, I didn't have a manager, so I basically got to keep that check, which was kind of nice, and for a guy that really, you know, had like a, you know, little paying job, that was, you know, a great amount of money, and they made it, which was great, and they made it the next year. Yeah. Uh, they built, it was insane. They, I, I got um, mildly rewritten on it, because the director was also uh, a writer, so he changed aspects of the film, um, but I was really pleased by the way it came out and, and they made it and um, it was my first produced credit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at this uh, point, it's 2003. Do you quit the job you're working on? What do you do? I, it wasn't enough money that I could quit because I had just um, put down two months rent on a New York apartment. Mm, yeah. Uh, wow. And yeah, I really, I, I might've had maybe five months with, with the amount of money I was making at the job and, and with, you know, this, you know, sort of windfall of money, which really at the end of the day isn't like a ton of money. Um, so I just started writing something else immediately. And I, uh, I did the same thing. I wrote this action movie. Uh, it's called Rapid. Um, it was basically speed in an armored car. I like it. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was cool. It was, uh, and, and oh, speed in an armored car during a hurricane. Oh, even better. So, uh, Beautiful. Tie into the whole Sandy conversation. It's fantastic. And uh, I kind of wanted to do this, this um, Hitchcockian, the whole movie takes place inside an armored car and there's thieves trying to hijack the shipment, trying to use a hurricane as a cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a big speed fan. I, I credit speed with, 
was really getting me into writing. I, I watched that movie. I'm like, I wish I wrote that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, that movie really changed a lot of things. I mean, there were so many movies after that that borrowed a lot of stuff from that. I think that movie kind of reinvented, you know, action films for a short time. Oh, it did. And I, I think it really brought back uh, the spectacle to the action movies. Mm-hmm. Because after Speed, we got Broken Arrow, we got Con Air, we got The Rock, we got all these movies that really kind of reinvigorated Die Hard in a thing mm-hmm. uh, aspect. And that, that was a movie that I really kind of wanted to emulate. Not rip off, but emulate. Sure, kind of sure. Take that dynamic. Um, so I wrote this movie called Rapid, you know, Speed Rapid. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I didn't think, I, I was thinking I could, it would be the same deal as Fear the Dark. It would be a smaller company. Maybe they'd be able to make it for a couple million bucks. You know, put mm-hmm. Van Damme in it. You know, Dolph Lundgren. You know, directed DVD kind of thing. Sure. And uh, I took a chance and I sent it off to a couple of managers uh, here in L.A. And small-time managers. Not, not guys who had really blown up yet. Guys who are willing to look at product and uh one manager got back to me um uh his name i like probably just say the name brooklyn weaver who uh is now a gigantic gigantic producer and he called me from a car wash on a sunday and he didn't have my cell phone number he had my parents phone number (laughs) and so he so he's calling my i'm living in new york he's calling my mom on sunday saying like is this Mr. Sullivan? Uh, your son wrote a dope script. <laughs> My mom had no idea what he was talking about. Right. Well, that sounds like something out of the movie itself. Exactly, yeah. She calls me up. She's like, are you selling dope? I'm like, no, no, no. I wrote a dope script. Like, um, so he, she gave him my actual number. And uh, we talked and we developed it. And he, he turned out to be a very genuine, nice guy. And um, we sold it to uh, Columbia Pictures in uh, early 2003 mm-hmm. uh, for a ridiculous amount of money. Hmm. And keep in mind, I'm still working in a talent agency's uh, office. Right. Um, and I, I didn't believe any of this. Like, this is mm-hmm. insane. Like, I had to get a lawyer. I had to get, uh, I had, to get uh, I had my manager. I had to sign documents. I had to sign my life away for all this stuff. Sure. I didn't let any of my bosses know at the agency what was happening. Yeah. Why? Um, I didn't believe in that this was really happening. Mm-hmm. And also, like, the thing is, it, it's really nice when you read about uh, certain movies getting made and getting set up and, and you see, like, the price tags attached to the scripts. It looks great, but a lot of that money you don't see for a while. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to keep my job. I had, I had rent. I had incredibly high rent that I was nervous about. And I didn't know when I was getting paid on this movie. Um, so I kind of kept it under my hat for a couple of days. But the weird thing was, one of my jobs at the agency was to hand out copies of Variety and The Hollywood Reporter and put it in their inboxes yes. uh, every morning. <laughs> so... On Monday, I'm in it. Uh, <laughs> right. I'm not in. Um, and I didn't say anything. Still, no one knew. No one, I, I, I don't think any of these guys knew I was even a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I start getting these calls from the LA offices and saying, like, uh, is this you? They're <laughs> recognizing my name from, like, my emails. 
And it's like, yeah, no, it's me. It's like, why are you still answering the phone? <laughs> uh, and I said, I, I don't know. Um, I, I want to keep my job. Uh, and it, it, it was, you know, it was definitely an interesting couple of days. Eventually what happened is that I really did have to quit my job because it was a conflict of interest. Oh, sure. Okay. Uh, yeah. And it, it was okay. I mean, it worked out, obviously. It wasn't like a big deal, but um, I did want to stay at, at, at the job. I, you know, I liked the people there, and, and everyone was really, really super nice. But um, I, you can't be a working screenwriter and, and be at an agency that's not representing you. Sure, sure. So what happened with, with the movie? Uh, the movie, well, like with most films, uh, Columbia Pictures picked it up, and uh, I did a couple of rewrites on it that were contractual. Um, mm-hmm. you, you, a lot of with these kind of films, you do steps, um, you, usually two steps, and a step is a rewrite. So you go in, and, um, it was insane. I mean, I'm, I'm just like, I'm, I'm a, a normal kid from Long Island, and I got flown out first class, which does not happen anymore. No, no studio does that anymore. Interesting. But, Oh yeah, it was it was insane. Uh, flew me out. They put me up in um, what is used to be the Hyatt Regency on Sunset. Gave me a bar tab, which is a really big mistake. <laughs> and uh, they actually offered me a rental car, and I did not want to drive in LA because I had no, I had never been to LA before. And uh, they're like, "Oh, we're we're gonna give you a rental car." I was like, "I don't want a rental car. I'll, I'll figure it out." You know, and like, "Okay, well, we're gonna take the money." that we're going to give for the rental car, we're going to put it toward the restaurant and the hotel. I'm like, that's probably even a worse idea, but okay. <laughs> How old are you at this and, point? Oh, yeah, 22. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so you can imagine. <laughs> right. The amount of uh, advantage that I took uh, sure. off of that. And uh, they put me up, and I, the thing is, when, when you sell a movie of that level, on that level, it's... Um, you get you have to take tons of meetings. So my manager at the time took me around for me. So I met at every single studio, and you know it's a lot of um, screenwriters call it like the water bottle tour, because every time you walk into one of these, they just offer you. So you wind up with like eighteen bottles of water. You know, like <laughs> all of them are like you drink the exact amount. And like during it, so you wind up with all these. My car right now is filled with like bottles of water. It's <laughs> too funny. Um, and so we we we. Uh, we went from like Universal to Paramount and Sony, and then we we took a meeting at Sony, and um, and then a bunch of the producers who were on the project, and they uh again like I never really had a bad experience in this business. Like everyone has been always nice to me. Like I wish I could tell you like a horror story, but everyone has been very respectful, and yeah, I've never gotten like you know stabbed in the back or anything. But sure. um. You know, the thing is, you have to take notes because even though they bought the movie and they want to make the movie, they also want to change the movie. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I remember one of the notes that we got. And keep in mind, the entire movie takes place inside an armored car. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the notes we got was, does it have to be an armored car? <laughs> and that's like, that's like Jaws. You're like, does that have to be a shark? Yeah. Can it be yeah. like a tiger? Um. But uh, I did a, I did I did my time on the draft, and uh, what wound up happening is that a lot of these movies, these studios bought these movies, and they spent a decent amount of money on it. Uh, they kind of lose interest after like two or three years, right? Yeah. And then it kind of goes to the bottom of the pile, and so it's still there. I mean, who knows? Like it could come out a year or two, Ice Cube and Ida Mendes, but 
what was there ever a point where there was a director or a star of any kind attached to it? Um, we, yeah, actually, this will this will tie in good. We gave it to The Rock, and this is Ooh. right after um, this is right after Scorpion King. It okay. might have been right either before or after Scorpion King. We gave it to The Rock, and Rock he they liked it, but they wound up going with the rundown. Okay, oh, okay, interesting. Uh, yeah, and uh, and again, I mentioned Ice Cube. Ice Cube had it for a while, um, and then as far as the director goes, um, I believe they wanted to attach the editor of Black Hawk Down. I think this guy Pietro Scalia. Okay. And uh, just moving forward, you know, these these guys get busy. I mean, The Rock just blew up. Sure. Um, even though the rundown wasn't like an entirely successful movie, it's just everyone was still wanting to work with Dwayne, you know, and mm-hmm. sure. But I, I, it was, it would have been amazing to have him in the film, especially. Yeah, I actually, I wanted to, to, to touch on this when we, when we talk about recoil, but as a writer, what is the initial thought when you hear that a wrestler is attached or, or eyeing your project? I mean, how do I feel about it? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I wasn't a wrestling fan until college. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of, but I went to college during the Stone Cold Rock uh, Empire. Right. Uh, sure. During that time when uh, both of them were just rock stars. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got really into it because my, my roommates were into it. I, I, I think that it translates really well. I think, I think the, uh, the charisma and the ability to play the audience translates really well with film. Yeah. Um, and I, that's why I think like guys like The Rock and, and Cena and, and Stone Cold, you know, they're not, they're not Anthony Hopkins, but mm-hmm. they're likable, and they're, they've got that presence. Um, yeah. So I'm always stoked. Um, I mean, Recoil, uh, Steve was always my first choice for the movie. Oh, wow. Okay. But the movie went through a couple of incarnations before Steve eventually signed on. Yeah, Steve was actually on board twice and two different times during that, the, the development of the movie. Well, how does that work that he's your first choice? Do you mean when you sat down to write it, he's what you're picturing in your head reading these lines? Um, sort of. I mean, I, if, if you want me, I can go into the development recoil. Sure. I mean, sort of. Okay. We, can, we can bounce around. Um, we'll get back to where we were. Okay, cool. Um, recoil started as I, I was working with a producer, um, I was actually still in New York. I was about to move to L.A. I lived in New York for a couple of years before I finally moved out here. And I was working with a producer who was based in L.A. who wanted to do um, a modern-day Western. And I'm just talking to him, and I'm like, you know what? I'll write it. You know, I'll write it for free. You know, I'll do something. That we're looking to do something in the 4 to $5 million range. And uh, I'm like, oh, great. And he mentioned to me, he's like, have you heard of this guy Randy Couture? I'm like, yeah, yeah. I just started following MMA. And I loved Randy. Randy was one of my favorite fighters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I love Randy. He's like, oh, we're looking to do something with Randy. And I'm like, all right, cool. So I'll write it for Randy. So the first version of Recoil was called, uh, I think it was just called Vengeance, mm-hmm. uh, the original title. Mm-hmm. And it was, it, I wrote it for Randy Couture, but I had never seen Randy act. I've only yeah. seen his MMA fights. So I didn't really know what his voice was. So I moved out to L.A., and I did a couple of passes. The script was completely different. It was yeah. completely different from what you saw as Recoil. Mm-hmm. Um, it took place in a completely different location. It was like the desert. It, was, it had like a supernatural aspect to it. It was really weird. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I did it. I spoke to Randy's management. They said, like, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, Randy wants to do this, do that. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, and then the financing fell apart. The movie never happened. Uh, and I, it, the script was on my desktop forever. And I worked on a couple other movies. I did a movie for Disney, uh, of all things. Really? <laughs> yeah, I sold the movie to Disney uh, in between uh, these two brutal action thrillers, um, <laughs> which is actually now at MGM. Uh, that actually might get made in a year or two. We're gonna we'll see. And what kind of movie is that? What's the uh, what's the feel of it? You say Disney. I think we all think cartoon, but but you're talking it's some kind of a, maybe an action film or a family film. It's, uh, it's, oh, it's it's like a PG family film, like Night at the Museum. Okay. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I got the idea from uh, my mom's sixth grade teacher, and. Uh, I was visiting. I was. Uh, I went home, and we're at dinner. She was talking about her uh, middle school science fair, and I'm thinking in my head, like science fair. Has they has they ever done like a fun sci-fi movie based around a, a science fair? And like they haven't. Like I looked it up, and I wrote this movie about a uh, a middle school science fair where all the science fair projects come to life, and a substitute teacher and his class of like like dumb kids have to like sort of. Um, defend the school from like, you know, the, the volcano, like the, uh-huh. uh, the volcano and like the, uh, the tornado and the soda bottle and like, right. the robot and then like the ant farm, like all like, so they come to life. We set it up at Disney and, um, it's a really like completely 180 from anything like recoil. I mean, it sounds great. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see. It was at Disney and then MGM actually bought it from Disney. So now they're developing it and uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, and it's, I'm, I'm it's, positive about it. it's an interesting thing how your inspiration comes on that. I think that's also something that someone that is creative and thinking about following a path like yours is that you never know where an idea might come from, and I guess you got to be open for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't – I mean, everyone always asks me, like, oh, you know, you want to write stuff like Recall. I'm like, yeah, I love I love violent – <laughs> actioners. I love stuff like that. You know, I love Reservoir Dogs. I love stuff like Die Hard. But I also love stuff like Monster Squad and like Weird Science. And, you know, I have a specific sort of thing that like I'm attracted to in terms of story. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I can just as easily write something for, you know, Stone Cold as I can for, you know, Steve Carell. I mean, I right. like to think I can anyway. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So what happens with Recoil next? I mean, what is the next step in the process? So at that point, uh, the movie was kind of just something I wrote, and then I didn't know what to do with uh, And I gave it to um, some of my, my management. Um, right now, I'm, I'm with Bender Skank, and uh, I had given it to my manager, Jake, at the time. And I'm like, you know, I have this really cool, you know, badass action movie. And uh, I, don't, I don't know what to do with it. So he's like, all right, let me make some calls and stuff. And he realized that uh, Stone Cold, who was still with the WWE at the time, um, was interested in, in doing a film to follow up The Condemned. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is actually Condemned to come out. And so we gave it to them. And it was just during that weird tr- transition time where he was kind of leaving them. Sure. Um, to do features. So... That didn't move forward. Uh, so we wound up actually submitting it to Sylvester Stallone. And Stallone responded and 
kind of was into it. And was wow. Like, oh, wow. I mean, I was like flipping out. I'm like, it's Stallone, of course. It's Rocky. Imagine. It's Cobra. It's Rambo. Yeah. It's, you, know, right. you know? And uh, the thing is, like, Stallone at that time was really self-generating. He was kind of just uh, writing his own stuff, and he just wanted to do his own thing. Yeah. He hadn't. This is post-Rocky Balboa, mm-hmm. but before The Expendables. Yeah. Right. So he got really into The Expendables, and we just couldn't wait. You know, sure. it, it was kind of like one of those things you'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, a couple of years, we'll do it. <laughs> now, did you, no, actually, gonna... did you actually speak to him? I, I, I'm curious when you say you, you... Oh, no, no. I never spoke to him physically, no. <laughs> no, he, uh, it, it, was all through, it was all through agents. Okay. Um, but I like I to think... I like to think his agent would do his voice when when they referred messages to you. <laughs> That's just my horrible Stallone impersonation. <laughs> We've all got one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so what happens? Uh, so after that, again, it was like hurry up and wait. I, I wrote a, I, I wrote Science Fair. I worked on that for a while. Um, mm-hmm. I did a couple movies for Sci Fi Channel, um, and I kind of just forgot about it. And then finally, my manager comes back to me. Um, Jay comes back to me and he says, hey, um, Stone Cold's like got a deal and they're looking for a movie. He And basically he had remembered that I had written Recoil. And um, so we sent it back. Um, and I had rewritten at this point. I had improved the, the movie and become what is now Recoil. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a much better movie. It was much polished, much more polished script. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next day, uh, it was like, yeah, uh, Steve's on board. Um, they're going to shoot in three months. And I'm like, that's it? He's like, yep, that's pretty much it. Wow. So it was the easiest process in terms of that. Uh, they, they, I did a, uh, I did a polish on it for, for Steve just to kind of like make it his voice. Sure. You know, get that Texas kind of drawl yeah. in, in the dialogue and, you know, have him give him like a bunch of really cool one-liners, and uh, you know, dude, Steve's Steve's a really, really good, tough guy actor. He's and he's amazing in the movie. I thought he did an amazing job. Um, yeah, I actually. After, uh-huh. I'm sorry. Oh no! Like I, it was, it was also important to like sort of cut down because there were like monologues in there that yeah. really work. You know, and um, and he nailed it. Like he was just, he was so good in it. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Um, I, I actually caught it on HBO maybe a, about a month ago, and my immediate takeaway w- from it was this is the best Stone Cold movie I've seen in terms of just the movie itself, but also having a Stone Cold performance that really, really captured him as a character. Yeah, thank you so much. That's I mean, and that's really what I was going for. I was going for... I, I kind of wanted to make Steve Clint Eastwood. You know, I yep. wanted to do the high, high plains drifter, a man with no name. Um, mm-hmm. He doesn't have to talk a lot. And really, and again, I think this, this, this goes back to the wrestling experience, that he's just so good at, at saying something with a look. Yeah. Instead of actually having to, if he doesn't tell someone he's going to beat the hell out of him. He's <laughs> just going to look like he's going to. Yeah, well, that was also one of the things that I really, really liked about the movie was there was never really any kind of hesitation on the character in terms of feeling any, you know, the slightest bit of remorse or indicating that what he was doing he didn't feel was right. Um, He seemed like a character that was moving forward and was doing things and had already decided that this was what he was going to do. 
and had completely embraced it. And I thought mm. in terms of like a, a, a vengeance movie or, you know, a lot of those movies, you know, sort of fall into the death wish trap. And I thought Recoil did an amazing job of avoiding a lot of the cliches of, of you know, you know, vengeance movies and sort of commentating on them as, a, as, as opposed to just saying, this is a guy getting vengeance. Thank you. I mean, that's, that's, that's amazing. Thank you so much. That's, um, that's what I wanted to do with it. I wanted to somehow separate it. I mean, we've all seen Death Wish. We've all seen The Punisher. And I yeah. wanted to make it, I mean, this is a genre and there's, there's going to be like things that you have to hit. There's going to be bases that you have to hit. Yeah. Uh, in these type of movies. But my takeaway from it, when I saw it, when I finally saw the movie and they, they gave me a, a screener before it was released, I watched it. And I'm like, this is kind of like part three of like a trilogy. You know, like it's sort of like, it's kind of like you've got the second part or the third part of like a three uh, part series. And I kind of like that. You, you kind of dive into Steve's character kind of knowing who he is and what he's yeah. doing. You're seeing one segment of this. Um, you know, it's one of, the, one of the best compliments I got on IMDb, and I do not recommend if you ever write a movie, don't go on the IMDb page <laughs> comments, but um, I do. Yeah, you're a <laughs> masochist. I have to, yeah, I know. I, I, I've, never, I, I've never been so flattered and then so angry at the same time uh, when, <laughs> when, I, when I read them. But... Uh, one of the really nicer com- comments I got was, uh, I'd really like to see this character again, either in like a sequel or a TV series, because I think it's something that could be franchised. So I was really happy with that, because I really wanted people to like Steve, and I wanted people to like his character and want him to, you know, even if there's no sequel, and, and I don't have, I don't think there's going to be, but, mm-hmm. um, although I've offered that, I'm like, hey, you guys want me to sequel to it? Yeah. Um, I, I, I like that, you know, people generally connected with him um mm-hmm. and, I, and i think nowadays too it, it's just really great to have a modern charles bronson and i think steve embodies that and yeah. um i'm happy that people responded to it and, and the movie has done amazingly well like it's uh, i think it's his best-selling dvd uh mm-hmm. so far and um and you know the people behind it terry miles who directed it He's a guy who came from an indie film world. Um, he basically had done like a lot of sort of uh, American Beauty type films. Okay. Uh, he never directed an action film before. Mm-hmm. Um, but they partnered him with uh, a really good second unit coordinator for the fight yeah. team. So the two of them together, he brought this like sort of human aspect to the movie, which uh, a lot of these films don't have. Um, yeah. And, but also, like, matched with some really great fight scenes. Um, and one of the things that was kind of interesting is that I, I in the script, I, I blocked out the fight scene. Uh, I wrote the fight scenes as they happened, which you can do, but you don't always have to do. A lot of screenwriters just write, they fight. And that's sure. It. But I kind of wanted to get into it. Mm-hmm. I don't really have a lot of fight experience or anything, but uh, I kind of really wanted to make the fights count. Yeah. And when I watched the film... I saw that the stunt coordinator kind of used some of my stuff. That's great. So it was kind of neat. It's like, oh my God, that, I wrote that punch. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, now, as exciting as it is to probably see that you have like a stone cold Steve Austin in your movie, it, it, it had to be pretty exciting to see a guy like Danny Trejo attached as well. 
oh, that was uh, that was just ridiculous because Steve was always on board, so um, I knew he was cast, but I didn't really know much else about who they were casting or they're putting in it. It was a uh, it was a Canadian production, so they had to get uh, a certain amount of Canadian actors mm-hmm. to apply for the tax credit uh, for shooting in, in Toronto. Sure, and um, but they could cast a few non-Canadian actors. Um, and I was, you know, we went, the, the producers, Steve's management were really cool with me. Like we exchanged a bunch of emails and talked on the phone and they would actually ask me for like suggestions for the bad guy for Drake. Mm-hmm. And I said, Danny Trejo first. Um, but I'm like, you're not going to get him because he's, he's working on like eight movies at the same time all the time. Yeah. You yeah. know, so these just a couple other guys like, Oh yeah, we're talking to, uh, Codius was in the prophecy, and uh, and then uh, and then there were some weird names that were thrown out, uh, you know, Mickey Rourke and then Matt Dillon, and and I'm like, that's that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, yeah. What about Danny Trejo? What about Danny Trejo? And then I talked to the director Terry, and Terry's like, yeah, I'm pushing for Danny Trejo. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was a couple days later. Um, I w- wake up, I get a text message, and it's my manager. It's like Danny Trejo's on board. Wow. Like I flipped out. Yeah, mm-hmm. I went to the bar that night. <laughs> I'm like, well, I, think... I have Steve Austin and Danny Trejo in my movie. This yeah, is, this is it. Yeah, I think that's actually got to probably be a lot of writers of you know wrestling movies or movies that star wrestlers. The biggest fear is getting a villain that looks like he could compete with the star. We we've, we've covered um, the John Cena movie, The Marine, on this on this podcast mm-hmm. before, and and we talked about you know you know, John Cena versus Robert Patrick at the end of that movie, you know, compared yeah. to Stone Cold versus Danny Trejo at the end of yours, which feels a lot better. It makes more sense. Right. Than Robert Patrick, who, you know, is, is got to be at least like 20 pounds lighter than me. Uh, going <laughs> up in, you know, that doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, and, and, you know, Danny's, Danny's up there in his age, but the guy, he's, he's like, got I was, that I, presence. Mm-hmm. He's got that presence. He also like, works out in between scenes. Yeah. Like he, he's lifting weights, doing push-ups between scenes. Like I had uh, heard people telling me like, yeah, no, Danny's doing like pyramid push-ups in between his fight scenes with Steve. You know, just so he's got that bulk. Yeah. And uh, that fight scene at the end was amazing. It was just so bloody and brutal. And it, it was different than I wrote it. I had written it uh, a little, um, not elaborate, but mm-hmm. it, it, it was, wasn't as gritty as it turned out to be, but the choices that they made in that fight choreography was better than what yeah. I had written. Because just seeing them just punch for punch, just destroy each other, I think really spoke to both characters' rage in that mm-hmm. moment. Now, is that one of the most sort of exciting things about seeing a movie that you wrote for the first time, is, is seeing those, those things that were changed but almost for the better? Uh, yeah. I mean, I always like it when and the last thing you want is, you know, a change for the worse. But yeah. it's, when, when you bring it, it's like, oh, it's great. But um, one of the things that, that I really liked about Recoil and the production and people involved was um, they really did improve on a script that really could have been kind of a generic revenge movie. Yeah. Um, and to me, like, what they did with it um, – and I think I give a lot of credit to Terry and the stunt crew and, and Danny and Steve for bringing it. And Steve was an executive producer on this. So Steve really was hands-on in, in the direction of the movie. 
Yeah. And they really, you know, I, I think this is also, I think Steve also really wanted to do a more human film. Up to this point, he had done stuff like Damage and Hunt to Kill, which were kind of like, I mean, typical Steve Austin characters. This was a guy who, whose life was just taken away, just robbed. You know, that Charles Bronson, the Punisher character, and I think he really wanted to play that, and he really brought that sort of anger to it. Right. Now, you mentioned earlier that your passport wasn't in order, and so you couldn't go to Canada to watch the film being made. So what yeah. what was that experience like? Were you, were they communicating with you, and you were you sending any kind of updates on the script occasionally? The um, the uh, Steve's management, which was also the producers on the project, and the director, and, and everyone kept in contact with me. They don't have to. I mean, once w- once you get paid for the project and you sign off on everything, they don't have to talk to you ever again. Um, but they were really cool. Um, I communicated through. Uh, I'm like friends with the entire stunt team on Twitter. Um, <laughs> Steve's my friend on Twitter. I've talked to him uh, via Twitter. Um, uh, the producers are friends of mine here in LA. Um, they kept me in the loop. They sent me per- they sent me a whole bunch of pictures, uh, set uh, set pics, and uh, just it, it was it was a really good experience. I regret not getting my paperwork in order to actually be on set, but. It was a really quick shoot, too. It was about 18 days. Oh, wow. So, you know, yeah. I mean, these movies are shot very quickly. Uh, they, they have everything set. You know, that's why the script has to be in order on the day of shooting. There really is no time for rewrites. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was disappointing for me, and it's my fault to not be able to be on set. Um, but I was, I kept in contact with everyone on the, on the production, including... Sorinda and, and Patrick. Uh, Patrick played Curry. Sorinda was Darcy. Um, they really, they kind of sent me in, like emails and, and you know tweets, and um, it was good. I, I kind of felt like I was there, even though I wasn't there. Sure. So, what do you have on your plate now? What's coming up next for you? Uh, I wrote another movie for Steve. We're waiting to hear um, exactly when it's going to shoot. Um, I can't talk too much about it. That, that makes not sense. But um, we're looking at maybe January, February. Um, oh, I can awesome. say, I can say that it's, it makes Recoil look like Gilmore Girls. Very oh, nice. great! <laughs> yeah, um, I, it'll it'll be it'll be cool. You know, it's it, it'll definitely um, it's an improvement on Recoil. I feel. Wow. I'm curious about this. You've mentioned how many things you've written that you know that you know, for whatever reason, haven't, you know, have been purchased, but haven't been made. How many things have you written total? What do you think? What's your total output of everything that you've ever put, you know, onto a computer or a hard drive someplace? Um, you know, the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, <laughs> where they have the, all the boxes in the warehouse. Right. That, um, that's, that's a pretty good example of, of <laughs> a lot of the things I've written that haven't gotten made. Um, but no, seriously, I, it's, it's probably, I've probably written anywhere from 60 to 65 scripts that are, you know, some of them I don't even have anymore. I mean, yeah. you switch computers, you lose stuff, you know, probably most of them are, are probably better off lost. Um, but I write, I write about four or five things a year, like mm-hmm. full length, uh, screenplays. And I usually wind up, you know, getting at least one of them set up somewhere, you know, whether it's a big movie or a small movie. Yeah. It, I usually wind up at least getting something out there. 
I think that's yeah. an interesting lesson for people, though, because, I, I mean, I didn't know that, you know, that studios would pay all this money and then not see it all the way through it. it it's really interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, they, they, um, they spend, what they spend on uh, screenplays, to purchase a screenplay, um, the price that they pay is a lot of money for, for most people. But for a studio, it's peanuts. Right. So... They just bank these movies. They, they, they buy them and they stick them in the, in the vault and they may make them or they may not make them or they may make them like 10 years from now. Um, yeah, it's a case of having example, a movie. Yeah. It's just ammunition for them. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, a great example is a uh, movie Salt that came out a couple of years ago with Angelina Jolie. Sure. That thing was in development for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. That script was written 10 years ago. You wow. know, and it, it's, it's one of those things that you never know. I mean, I could have everything I've ever done all of a sudden made in a year. Right. But it's probably not going to happen. You just have yeah. to keep on, you know, writing new material and, and put more bullets in the gun. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the prophecy. I, I love the prophecy series. How do you get connected to something like that? Do they come to you? And, and what is it like writing characters that you maybe didn't create? Uh, they came, that was a, Interesting experience. Uh, it came to me. This is after I uh, sold my first major uh, spec screenplay, the, that movie Rapid. And mm-hmm. uh, when that happens, you have people offering you stuff, which is nice. It, it's, it's great to not have to like audition and you know, like, hey, you know, uh, I actually I took a meeting at Dimension Films, um, which was really convenient for me because they were actually based in Tribeca in New York City at the time. So I, that, that was just a cab ride. I didn't have to, like, fly out. Um, so we sit down, and I meet with um, one of the uh, VPs, and they, they put down a bunch of properties in front of me. And uh, I, again, you have to remember that I'm 22 years old and, and just a huge, huge movie fan. And they gave me one of the versions of Rambo, uh, I think it was one of Stallone's first versions of Rambo 4. I think he was, I think he was like in the the projects or South Central. It was one, he, Stallone wrote like four Rambo 4s. Oh, wow. Yeah. Dimension at the time had the rights to Rambo. And they gave me this. It was like, uh, is this something you'd be interested in? I'm like, yes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the only problem is, uh, and this is a true story. I'm not sure how much this has been talked about, but like they did not have Stallone's involvement. They had the script, but they didn't have Stallone to play Rambo. At the time, they were talking to Steven Seagal. Wow. Oh my God. The takeover from John Rambo. Ugh. And so the caveat that I had was like, okay, so you could do a Rambo movie, but it, it's not going to be Stallone. Ugh. And it might be Steven Seagal, or it might be, I forgot, they mentioned a pure, they were going to basically recast Rambo. It just, it doesn't matter who it is. I mean, I, Seagal's done some things I like, but I mean, my goodness, Rambo is Sylvester Stallone. I, I couldn't believe it. I gleefully took a shot at it, you know. <laughs> but I mean, I, I didn't feel right about it, you know. Like, I don't know. And then, um, and they put the other, the next script they put in front of me was Total Recall. Uh, to mention at the time had Total Recall. Uh, oh, they wow. had the right to that. And it, there were, they had a script for a movie that they did have Schwarzenegger on board for. Um, it it was crazy. Uh, I probably can't talk too much about it. All right, no, that's fine. Don't, I, I don't want you to get in any it, trouble. 
Oh no 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 no! It's, <laughs> I mean, this is, this, I mean, obviously, it's it's moved on to a different sure. uh, series now, but um, but yeah, it, it, they had they had a Schwarzenegger script, and uh, I forgot who the writer was, but the script wasn't bad. It was just it was it was like a hundred new. Was at that time was wait, wait repeat what you just said. It dropped out a little bit. A hundred. Oh, it was like it was like a hundred and ten, hundred twenty million dollar movie. Um, and they brought this, and like I'm like, all right, I'll do, I'll do a. Uh, they, what they wanted me to do was to sort of reboot both the scripts mm-hmm. and just see what what my take would be. Um, it was like an audition. It was sort of like you know, but I mean, it was it was amazing franchises. Like you can't turn that down. Mm-hmm. So I did the best I could. I gave them a take, which was like four or five pages on each product. Like, this is what I would do. This is what I would change. And they're like, all right, cool. But eventually those projects had no traction at the studio. Like they weren't going to make them. Mm-hmm. And they came back to me and was like, all right, um, we, we still do though. And then they put two more properties in front of me. One of them was the prophecy series, which I wasn't that familiar with. Uh, I actually had only seen the first one and I hadn't seen any of the sequels. And the other one was Mimic. Uh, that was the uh, Guillermo del Toro the bug co- movie, yeah. cockroach movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they wanted to do Mimic uh, 3 and 4 back-to-back, uh, just like they did Prophecy 4 and 5 back-to-back. So I did, um, I did my work on both of them. You know, this, is like, this is like two weekends. Like, I didn't go out. I didn't do anything. All I did was work on you know, trying to come up with the next great sequel to these franchises. Um, and I came up with the idea for Mimic 4 and 5 to be like aliens, to have like colonial marines and like have these kill- I I, I kind of like overrode it. Like it would have been like a, a $100 million movie and <laughs> right. they really just wanted to do a DVD flick. <laughs> and, but they liked what I did with Prophecy, uh, which was come up with the idea of this um, kind of rough draft of the Bible that keeps writing itself. And I think that's what got me the job. Uh, they really like that, this book that keeps on writing that reveals who wins the battle between good and evil. And if you were to be able to possess that book, you would know who wins at the end. Mm-hmm. So I pitched them that. They're like, that's really cool. They hired me. I wrote a 140-page script, which they split into two movies. And uh, I got rewritten on that a little bit. Uh, the two movies that came out really kind of resemble what I wrote, but also there's a lot of changes in there because the uh, the director, another super nice guy, Joel Sosan, uh, rewrote me on that. But um, I liked, they actually are pretty well regarded. People really kind of dug those sequels. Um, they kind of turned it into this international born identity kind of conspiracy kind of thing, which I kind of liked. It, it was a lot different than the Christopher Walken uh, ones, but um, they had a good cast. Uh, Kari Wurr, um, super nice woman. Um, yeah, I had a good experience on that. And like, I, I like the pride. And they're on all the time on Sci-Fi Channel. Right. Mm-hmm. And and all of these films, if people go, Amazon has most of them where you can watch them on demand, and otherwise they can get DVDs and everything. Where where uh, can people find you on the internet? If people are looking for you, they want to hear more from you, where are you? Um, I'm... People... If if they want, I'm on Facebook, uh, Blackout Films on Facebook. And, and what's Blackout um, Films? What's the what's the term? What's oh Blackout Films? It's 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 my production company. Um, 
I produce, I, I actually work with, um, I have my own production company. We work with uh, younger writers trying to develop uh, three to four million dollar movies. Oh, nice. Um, I'm actually partner in a um, bigger production company called Mammo Media, M-A-M-M-O Media, um, that I'm, uh, we actually just kind of started it up. Um, we're going to be active in January, um, but I started out with my producing partner, Matt Moore, uh, who's based in Texas. I'm based in L.A., and we're going to be co-financing and developing um, smaller genre pieces, kind of stuff like Recoil. Nice. Um, so we're actually looking actively looking for material. So they can find this on Facebook, Blackout Films, and I know you're on Twitter as well. Yeah, Johnny Blackout on Twitter. Johnny Blackout on Twitter. You have anything else you want to promote? Any other websites? Is there a place that if people do purchase the films that you prefer, is it better from Amazon or should they just get them wherever they find them? Uh, I recommend Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or you know, iTunes uh, recoils on both. Uh, Fear of the Dark's harder to locate. Um, you can get used copies of that on, on Amazon. Um, and Prophecy, they just actually released the entire set on uh, one, on two DVDs, the Prophecy oh, collection. Cool. So I didn't write the first three, but I, I wrote I wrote the last two. <laughs> it is awesome. It is really a great and franchise. And definitely um, the other, uh, face, Facebook.com, Mammo Media, is, is actually our brand new production company. So that's something... Um, I'm pretty proud of we're putting that together and we've got financing and it's uh, it's really exciting because I'll actually be able to work with writers and, and sort of uh, shepherd uh, projects into production, which is uh, really, really cool. So I'm really excited that for 2013. Well, we're going to have to talk to you again when, when these next projects come forward because it sounds like you've got some really exciting things on the horizon. Um, yeah, um, it's. It's it's always exciting to to work in LA, although uh, the uh, the weather is, is sort of the same day to day. But I mean, I can't really complain about the weather, can I? Yeah, well, you get you get the sun, and then you get the fire occasionally. We do get the and we get the earthquakes. Yeah. That's right, Johnny Sullivan. Thank you so much for joining us today on Camel Clutch Cinema. Thanks, guys. And Craig, thanks for joining me, and thank you to you for listening. And we'll see you next time. So you want to wrestle, huh? You're too little. We got ushers bigger than you. Leave. I got to take a crap. Don't you see? Your skills plus my skills in the ring. Tag team. Howard Patrols is John Triton. What are you doing up there? Staying away from you. No more rhymes now. I mean it. Anybody want to be that? What's that smell? <laughs> Jimmy King! Oh my god, a four-post massacre! No one can survive this! This isn't even a pay-per-view!